Thanks for listening to a YPC podcast. We believe God wants to do so much for you and through you, and we'd love to hear about it. Take a second to send your story to office at ypcprior.com and enjoy the message today. How's everyone doing today? You glad to be in church? Super glad that you guys are here. Just a little quick plug about the 10-year celebration, not this weekend, but the next weekend. We are celebrating 10 years, and this was just a short glimpse of, of what's happened in the last 10 years as a church. Can you believe it's been 10 years? It doesn't feel like it's been that long, but we are super excited to celebrate with you guys. Uh, that's, that's the 7th, the 14th, we're doing something special. The 21st is Easter Four services we're planning on Easter just because that's when everybody shows up. And then in May, I, I've got rumors that there's another virtue night coming in May. So I'm super excited about that. We are doing so much at Your Place Church right now. And, and I know because I'm in all of those meetings. And so I know what's going on. Today, we are in Asking for a Friend Part 4. And I have titled this message, What the Heck Was Going On? All right, and so first of all, you guys need to you guys need to loosen up a little bit. No one's saying it's like everybody's just like frozen. It's okay. Stretch out a little bit. Chew some bubble gum. If you need to get some more coffee, get some more coffee. It's gonna be good. It's gonna be good. If uh, the thing that I love about this series has been this, you guys are seeking God. You really are. You're you're pursuing His Word. Probably the best thing that I love seeing about this series is. Your questions are a result of your personal navigation through the Word of God. And you've got questions about things that matter. I mean, we have had some questions that I think probably, uh, you know, someone little has, has asked them, you know, like we've got, did, did, uh, did God have parents? You know, we've got a couple of those questions, and, and uh, we've, we've had a couple that, you know, probably they were... Someone got a hold of the, the, the number and, and text those things. Um, and, and I could be mistaken and just assume it was a kid. There could be adults in here that you want to know if God has parents. The quick answer is no, God always has been. Amen. Always will be. He is infinite. And I know it's hard for us to wrap our minds around that. But this week's questions, not quite as controversial as last week's questions, but still somewhat dicey, if you know what I mean. So several people uh, texted in, and this is what, this, these were their questions. The Bible has a lot of polygamy. And I would say it seems like old dudes marrying very young, almost two young girls, and the Lord blesses this? What's the meaning, right? There's one. When Lot had angels visit him, and the mob wanted to attack and rape them, and he offered his daughters up instead. I don't understand how that was okay. I get the historical cultural place of women in society, which is more like they were property and not equal, but I never understood that. Again, this is the question they're asking. Uh, another question, so slaves, huh? Does God condone slavery? Another question, um, what's with all the raging patriarchy? Does God love males more? And then this one, uh, what's all the deal with the incest in the Bible? Good question. Uh, and then citing a bunch of scriptures, a person writes, coming from a female, I'm not sure I really like the way females are said to be and behave in scripture. 
all great questions. And at first glance, as we read through these questions, and as you read through the Bible, it can seem a little harsh towards certain aspects of the human race. And because the Bible reflects God, the question that we have, or our assumption is, is that God either orchestrated it all or at least is okay with it, what's the deal, Pastor? Well, we're going to look into those things today, but we're going to pray. Father, we thank you right now for the Holy Spirit. And Father, your word and your spirit working together is what brings light and brings understanding. So Father, we're going to look into your word and we're going to answer these questions as best as we can, Father. Your word is clear in this area. So Father, I pray that once again you would unlock our understanding and help us to see things, Father, that we've never seen before. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever used a product to later find out that the way you use it wasn't the way it was created to be used? I don't know if you've done that before or not, but I, I, I found a few of these. William Russell Frisbee bought a, a bakery in Connecticut in the late 19th century, which he called the Frisbee Pie Company, right? After his death, his company continued to flourish, and in 1956, reached its peak production of 80,000 pies per day. Pies and cookies were made uh, by the company, and they came with a plate-shaped tin bearing the name Frisbee Pies on it. Well, it wasn't until later a group of students from Yale University discovered a different use for those tins. They would hurl them around the university campus as the flying disc would approach its target, the thrower would shout, Frisbee! And then they would catch it, right? And so that, again, the original use of it, not what it was intended for, not what it was using for now. Another one, the chainsaw, okay? We've all seen a chainsaw. Some of us have used a chainsaw. The earliest mention of the chainsaw comes from a Canadian Medical Association journal which reveals the original purpose of the chainsaw was to cut bone in operations. Can you imagine the doctor? You know what I mean? It's like, this might hurt a little bit. You know, and just, anyway, that's the chainsaw. Uh, here's another one. Um, Cleo and Noah McVicker developed a putty in 1933 to help clean suet-covered walls. And according to the Huffington Post, uh, made from a simple combination of flour, water, and salt, it was meant to be rolled across walls to disrupt dirt. However, the introduction of vinyl wallpaper, which you could clean with soap and water, pretty much made it useless, right? So they didn't use it. It wasn't until a younger relative, Joe McVicker, was hired by the company in 1949, discovered that the formula could be used as a pliable molding clay, and in 1956, Play-Doh was sold as a molding clay. Its original design was to get dirt off the walls, right? Here's another one. Of course, we couldn't leave this one out. Scientists who developed Viagra 
We're hoping it could lower blood pressure and treat certain forms of heart problems. However, they were met with a surprising side effect during clinical trials. The male participants experienced an interesting side effect, according to the BBC. Curing erectile dysfunction became an incredibly lucrative side effect for the drug, and in 2007, its original purpose was vindicated. Scientists showed that as well as boosting blood flow to certain parts of the male anatomy, uh, the, the drug also increased amounts of blood to the heart, the lungs, according to the British Heart Foundation. So that's not what it was intended for. It was a side effect. Coca-Cola started out as a cure for morphine addiction. Listerine started out as an antiseptic. Bubble wrap was originally used as wallpaper, believe it or not. And 7-Up was originally a mood-stabilizing drug. You guys are, like, quiet today. I thought those were funny. I did. I thought those were funny. All throughout time, we have seen how products were invented, but they were never used like they were invented. So whether we're talking about Coca-Cola or the Frisbee, Bible context has the same background. In other words, cultural realities that we see throughout history were never intended to end up that way. I think when you're asking questions along these lines, one of the probably the harshest stories in Scripture that comes to mind that I read is in Judges chapter 19. And if you're not familiar with the story, this is the story of a, of a Levite who comes through a, a town in, in, in um, I think it's Gil, how do you say that word? I'll look it up here. It's like Gilead, Gilbo, I'll get to it in a second. Anyway, he's going through there. It was their custom that if a stranger or a traveler comes through the community, doesn't have a place to stay, the townspeople were to open their homes to them and give them a place to stay. Well, this Levite comes in, and the townspeople, like the evil townspeople, find out that some travelers in town they find out where he's staying. They come as an angry mob and start beating on the door, and they want the township dude to send out the traveler so they can have sex with him. They wanted to rape him, right? And so the, the, the guy, the owner of the house, comes out, says, listen, why are you doing this? I'll give you my virgin daughter's. And this man's concubine, which concubine, like what the heck? Where did that come from, the term concubine? Well, even concubines back in biblical days, it was never created by God for men to have concubines. Concubines were kind of like, it wasn't like a wife, but it was a person who was considered, um, if the wife was barren, Okay, because it was it was considered a blessing of God to have a bunch of children. And if the wife was not able to have children, what was a common practice back in the day was she would give her servant to her husband and any child born to her servant became 
her child, like the wife's child. And so it was all kinds of crazy. This is where we get Sarah and, and Hagar, Rachel and Bilhah. The children of the concubine often had the equal rights as those of the children of the wife, which is why Sarah had to get Ishmael out of the house because he would have been the firstborn instead of Isaac, and so she sent them away, right? Crazy stuff. But back to this story in Judges chapter 19, they come out. The guy's like, hey, don't kill us. I'll give you my daughters. But before he can do that, the traveler opens up the door, grabs his concubine that was traveling with him, throws her out into the mob, shuts the door and locks it. And this angry group of townsmen rape her and abuse her all night long. As the sun comes up the next day, she is broken, devastated. She's, she's weak. She crawls back on her hands and feet to this townsman's house. She collapses against his door. The traveler gets up the next day, opens the door, and when he does, she falls over dead onto his feet. Oh, it gets worse. He, in despicable um, retribution towards the community, cuts her up into 12 pieces and mails them all over the tribes of Israel. And just sends this to them. Well, the tribes of Israel see this and they can't imagine the public disgrace that this has. And so what do they do? They come to this community and they basically kill every single person in the community. They go after the tribe of Benjamin because they were friends with this community. They kill everybody in that community, and then they burn down both cities to the ground with no remorse, right? And we look at that, and we think, what the heck? Like, why is this story even in Scripture? Is that the way God treats women? Is that what was allowed? Is that the will of God? Does God actually love all people? And here's what I want to point out about this story in particular. Judges chapter 19, verse 1. The first few words of chapter 19 say, In those days, Israel had no king which is the theme of the entire book of Judges. Israel had no king. They had no law. They had no rules. They had no way of life. In fact, the entire book of Judges finishes in chapter 21, verse 25. In those days, it's repointing out the fact, Israel had no king and Everyone did what they saw fit. So it wasn't an issue of God's will. It wasn't an issue of this is just the way you treated women. It was an issue that they did not have a king. They did not have laws. And everyone did as they saw fit. 
All the way through the book of Judges, you see where the system of the judges failed. And the law that was previously given to Moses broke down. And it points again and again for Israel's need for a king. And even when they started having kings rule over them, there, there were kings that failed and did, did what they thought was pleasing in their own eyes. And then there were godly kings. But it proves the point that there really is only one king that we need in our life. And that's King Jesus. Amen, everyone. So it's not a matter of does God approved. It was a result of a fallen world. So when you see accounts of polygamy, when you see accounts of incest, when you see accounts of even, even rape and divorce, it wasn't God's original creation. It was not what he intended it for. It's not what God designed the human race for. Well, what did God design the human race for. We see that in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us, he was talking to someone, this is before creation, let us make mankind in our image. He was a conversa having a conversation with the, with the Son and with the Holy Spirit, with Jesus and the Holy Spirit, because they have been with God since the beginning, right? And it says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God's original plan was that male and female be created. Amen? Genesis chapter 5, verse 1, the Bible says, this is the written account of Adam's family line. When God created mankind, he made them in, in the likeness of God. You were created in the likeness of Almighty God. Like, People wonder if he's just this spirit man walking around. No, the Bible points to the fact that he has fingers, that he has arms, that he has legs. You can see that throughout Scripture, you and I are created in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them, not just the man. He blessed them, and he named them mankind. We see this all throughout creation, God sees all of us as his creation. He doesn't, he's not demeaning towards women. He loves you, ladies, amen? You're his daughters. So all the single guys out there, when you're pursuing those girls, just remember, that's God's daughter, amen? In fact, all the married men in the room, that woman that you've been with for 10, 12, 15, 20 years, she's still God's daughter, right? We should take care of each other. And a lot of people look at different texts and different scriptures throughout, throughout the Bible, and they look at it with a lens of judgment towards women. 
And I actually think that they're looking for reasons to hate on ladies. It's like the little rascals. I don't know if you saw the old little rascals, the He-Man Women Haters Club, right? It's like some people read the Bible through the lens of the He-Man Women Haters Club. They're like, yeah, but First Peter says that they are the weaker. They're the weaker. They're supposed to submit to men, right? The weaker vessel. Well, if you would actually read the scripture in context, it doesn't actually say that at all. The Bible says, First Peter chapter 3, husbands in the same way be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner. All the Bible is saying in this moment is, you know what? There are some ladies, not all, but some ladies who are weaker physically than men are, okay? I know it's true at my house. My wife has me open the pickle jar. Why? It's not because she, you know, it's, it's not because she doesn't want to. It's not because she's a slave driver. It's because I am stronger than my wife, okay? She has me carry the laundry basket downstairs. She's like, hey, I'm the weaker vessel. You should carry the laundry basket down, right? In fact, she says it this way. Hey, you're looking particularly hunky today. Why don't you carry the laundry basket down? To which I rip my shirt off, grab that laundry basket in full flex mode, right, and just grunt as I walk it down the stairs, right? And I get into the laundry room and I drop it on the ground because I'm the stronger one, right? But here's the point. It's not that she's a weaker person. She's just weaker physically than me. It says respect them as the weaker partner and as heirs with you. Heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. A lot of times I'll ask couples, one or the two of them will come and they'll ask me the question, hey, how come I can't, haven't got my prayer answered? One of the first questions I'll ask them, how's your relationship with your spouse? And I'll be like, I don't know what this has to do with anything. Oh, according to scripture, it has a lot to do with it. It has a lot to do with your prayers getting answered. You and I have dignity because we bear God's image as human beings. When you love and appreciate people, not just, not just the male species, but all of creation, what you're doing is you're dignifying the image of God in them because we were all created in his image and in his design. My second thought along these lines is God actually assigns kingdom responsibilities to all humans. Back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in numbers, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and all the birds of the sky and every living creature that moves on the ground. In other words, all of this is yours, take care of it, right? And God said, I'll give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth. Now, this is not a claim to smoke pot, which is the way a lot of people use that scripture. If you want information along those lines, see last week's message, all right? It's on the podcast. Every tree that has fruit, uh, every tree has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the sky and the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, 
I give every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And after uh, there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. In one breath, God expresses multiple purposes for males and females in the earth. First thing, be fruitful and multiply. Like, have kids. Like, create a family. Do life together. And then he says, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. Although, physiology, (laughs) I'm tongue-tied. The physiology of the male and the female are different. They are still created both in God's image. I would not want to do what I do in life without my wife. She completes me, (laughs) right? Even though she would be like, you know, Darian, Jesus completes you. I don't complete you, which is why I need her in my life again, because she keeps Jesus real. And what about if I'm not married? I mean, I'm not going to have kids. I'm not married, right? Well, the Bible has a lot to say to singles. 1 Corinthians 7 says, Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say this is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. This is Paul talking here. And you know what he's saying? He's like, you know what? It's just easier. Bro, let me tell you, it's just easier. You should stay unmarried because you can go anywhere you want to go. You only buy one set of underwear, right? You're, you can eat all your own food. That's what he's saying here. He's not, he's not saying God hates couples. He's like, you know what? In fact, he starts out the, the, the scripture, now to the unmarried and to the widows, I say. In other words, this is his personal opinion about it. He's like, you should just stay like single, bro. It's good. That's what he's saying. But God was like, you know what? I created the the man and the woman to be in relationship together. The Hebrew words for subdue means to have dominion, right? To take care of, to serve, to guard, to watch over, preserving and caring for others. God's intentions was that mankind would have dominion over the earth. That God would have dominion, that he would take care of each other, that we would take care of each other. But what has happened is we live in a fallen world. And the fallen world has perverted God's original intentions. God, my, third, my third thought is simply this. God intends men and women to combine their strengths to benefit each other in this world. Going back to Genesis chapter 2. Talked about how God made all of these animals and brought them to Adam and said, hey, you get to name them. Adam's like, giraffe, that sounds awesome. Zebra, great. Whoa, you know, there's a a horse or a a hippo, you know what I mean? But the Bible says over in in verse 20, but for, for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. My version is a little bit different. I think he woke up. 
God presented the naked Eve to him, and he was like, whoa, man, and that's why we got that today, right? So, verse 24, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. The important part, Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. They were just into each other. God knew man needed a helper, a partner. In fact, the word helper means indispensable companion. You'll see that word, it's, it's azar, E-Z-E-R, azar. You'll see that word 16 times throughout Scripture, God describing himself. I am the azar. I am an indispensable companion to you. But then he creates woman, and he calls her the helper or a helper, an indispensable companion for Adam and for, for men, really. This is where Tyra gets her whole created to help movement from, is that women were created to be indispensable companions, not just to man, but to mankind. Like, we have a role that we're accomplishing together. But here's what you need to understand. The world has perverted it. Are you with me? The woman being the weaker vessel, because we live in a fallen world, this is why we have sex trade now. This is why there's abuse now. In fact, Scripture talks about how God loves children. Jesus said, hey, suffer not the children to come unto me. Man, I want to I hang out with kids. And it wasn't because he was creepy. It's because he, he enjoyed teaching. He enjoyed their curiosity. He enjoyed their, their take on life, right? But yet, men and women who live in a fallen world have corrupted what God created. And now we have children's soldiers in certain parts of our world. Ten-year-olds walking around with machine guns, walking around with bombs strapped to them, right? We have sex trade for children. We have uh, workhouses where, where young minors are forced to work for no little or no pay. What is it? It's all a perversion of what God created. Is this okay, friends? You're understanding Scripture here. Well, what about slavery in the Bible? Like, where did that come from? Hey, the Bible is full of practices like slavery and polygamy and divorce. But here's what I want everybody to know. Biblical stories that talk about certain acts performed in certain contexts isn't biblical approval. Are you with me, friends? Just because you read it in Scripture doesn't mean God's like, I accept that. It doesn't mean God says, I approve of that. The biggest problem that I have with a lot of believers today is when bad things happen and they throw out the, well, God could have done something about it, but he chose not to. Listen, that makes it feel like or seem like it's God's fault when we have been given dominion and authority.
to do something about things on earth. Are you with me? The Bible says that you have the name of Jesus. And at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. Jesus says, all power in heaven and earth is mine. And he gave it to us to go out and have dominion over the earth. To subdue it. To not let circumstances affect us or change us. We change circumstances. Are you with me? So just because you read something in Scripture, does not, it's not biblical approval for those things. It's the result of a fallen world. And it's a result of people doing what they see, what seems well in their own eyes. You know, you, you read through Scriptures, and you have to take into consideration, you can't just take one Scripture out of context and make a statement about it. You have to, there's two massive peaks in Scripture that everything is hinged on. Number one, creation. The whole point of creation, it says that humans are made equally in God's image. Well, then in between that peak and the Gospels or the cross, we have this great divide where sin comes in and the world falls apart. But then we have the cross of Jesus. So we have creation and we have the cross. And the cross basically tells that God has overcome all racial, all social, and all religious divisions at the cross. And one day, according to Revelations chapter 7, verse 19, one day, He's going to create a people from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages who dwell together in perfect harmony, Revelation says. Why? Because what was lost from creation, the cross fulfilled. Amen. God's intentions are that we would live in peace and harmony with each other. Creation is essential to consider because God reveals his original intent for the human race. And the gospel is essential because it reveals the ultimate trajectory of God's redemptive work. But people take scriptures out of the light of those two peaks and they pull them out of context and they say, well, yeah, but what about that? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5. New Testament, post-Jesus, post-resurrection. Slaves. Slaves? Really? Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. See, we see the term slaves, right? And we neglect the larger context of the biblical story. We miss the forest for the trees, right? We hear the common English translation of slavery in light of our own historical context. We think of race-based chattel slavery in which the slave is the property of the master and they lack any legal rights. That kind of slavery, unfortunately, is the most despicable institutions ever to disgrace human civilization. 
But it's not, however, the same scripture or view that the scriptures are holding. Slavery back in Bible days, people who couldn't pay their debts were put into slavery. What does that mean? They worked off their debt. Oftentimes, there were prisoners of war that were taken. And instead of being killed, they offered to become slaves for the attacking army. Slavery, right? Again, a result of a fallen world, a result of the culture of the time. Make no mistake, Israel spent 400 years in slavery to Egypt. But you see, God hated it. He hated it. So, the thing that we need to understand when we're asking questions along these lines is, is this the way it was created? Or did Jesus repair it? Because in both of those arguments, God's plan for you is life. Can I just tell you, God loves you unconditionally. There's nothing you can do or not do that will stop him from loving you. There's, the price has already been paid. You have the same rights, privileges as Jesus Christ himself. And people get mad at that. But the scripture says, we're heirs to God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Why? Because you've been adopted. You've been adopted into the family of God. He brought you. You have the same rights and privileges as Jesus has. Does that make sense? In fact, Jesus talks about this one prayer. Matthew, or I'm sorry, John chapter 17. All of God's intentions are wrapped up in this one prayer that we see Jesus pray for all of humanity. Verse 20, my prayer is not for them alone. In other words, he's praying for, for this group of people. But look how he says it right here. I'm not praying for just them. But I pray also for, for those who will believe in me through their message. In other words, my story is going to be passed down throughout generation. And I'm praying for everybody who will believe in me through their message. That all of them, Father, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I and them, you and me, so that they may be brought to, look at this, complete unity. Jesus' prayer for all of the human race is that we would be brought to complete unity. Nothing missing. Nothing unfelt. Nothing incomplete. Then the world will know that you sent me and I've loved them even as you have loved me. So whether we're talking about the original use of Coca-Cola or the Frisbee, 
or we're talking about biblical context, the way things are used is not necessarily the way they were created. So when you read through Scripture, listen, it doesn't mean it's biblical approval. What it does mean is that we all need a Savior, and His name is Jesus. Amen, everyone? And He saved us, and He paid the price on on Calvary for all of us. And I think it's appropriate as we go, as we, as we start to lean into this Easter season to pause during a Q&A series and point to the cross of Jesus because he is the author and perfecter of our faith. Will you pray with me, Father? Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your word, Father. Thank you that you spoke truth. The Bible says that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that no one can come to the Father except through me. Then you said that we would know the truth, which is Jesus, your word. We would know the truth, and the truth would set us free. Father, I thank you for freedom today in this place. In Jesus' name. You know what? Heads bowed and eyes closed. Just give me a second here. Maybe you're in the room, and you've never began a relationship with Jesus. Or maybe you once had a relationship with Jesus, but you've walked away from him. And today you'd like to renew your relationship. I'm not going to drag this out. I'm not going to make a big deal. We're not going to have you stand up or come forward. We just want to know who we can pray for. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. If that's you, just put your hand up and put it right back down. I just want to know who I can pray for in this room. Anybody like that? I'm just going to take a second here. Can I pray with you? Can I pray for you? Anybody like that? I know we had a few last service, so. Amen, amen, amen. Well, then you guys can look right up here at me. I'm excited. We got one more week left of our Q&A series. I'm going to answer the best I can some of the remaining questions that have come in. And I'm excited about what God's doing. And here's the, here's the greatest part of pursuing God. When you have a heartfelt, genuine relationship with Jesus, the best thing about Jesus is Jesus. The best thing about pursuing God is God. And when you have a genuine relationship with God, the things that used to be hard aren't hard anymore. Like uh, worship, reading your Bible, even like a weekly practice or schedule of worshiping God in a community of believers like this. Used to, it used to be hard, like I have other things to do, but now it's just the easy things that we get to do. It's, it's the same with serving, giving. You know, those things used to be hard for us because we're like, oh, I don't really have time, I don't really have any money, I don't really have anything. Now it's just easy for us because we understand when we have a relationship with Jesus, we get Jesus. Amen, everyone which makes it so much better. I'm reminded in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, it says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will reap generously. And then it goes on to say, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. We, we get this because a lot of us are putting in our flower gardens right now. I know a lot of the farmers are, are sowing in seed into their, into their pastures right now because they're looking ahead 
for the day the harvest comes. They're not sorry they're sowing seed. They're excited because they trust in the harvest. They trust in God, amen? And when you trust God, this part's easy. We just give to him. Some of the, 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 the happiest, healthiest people I know just happen to be the most generous people I know. And they happen to be the wealthiest people I know because they just trust God with everything. So we're going to worship God with our giving today. I'll have everybody stand up. This is how we do it. In the back of the room, there's buckets. You can get envelopes off of the kiosks if you need an envelope for your giving. The uh, kiosk out at the outlet, you can, you can do it right there. You can go online at yourplacechurch.com. You can check the mobile app that we have. You can give that way. Which, did anybody notice the construction trailer when you came into church today? They're setting up the office. The new air conditioner is supposed to be here this week. We're just waiting on the ducks to come in. Here we go. So let me pray for you. Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. Lord, we worship you with our giving today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you guys. You are dismissed. You have been listening to a YPC podcast. Visit our website at ypcprior.com to hear more.